Good morning, church. It's great to be with you guys again. Um, So today we're going to be reading Jonah chapter 3, obviously. (laughs) Again, I hope you guys had a chance to read ahead, and even if you didn't, please just join along with us. The Lord spoke his word to Jonah again and said, Get up, go to the great city Nineveh and preach to it what I tell you to say. So Jonah obeyed the Lord and got up and went to Nineveh. It was a very large city. Just to walk across it took a person three days. After Jonah had entered the city and walked for one day, he preached to the people, saying, After forty days, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God. They announced that they would fast and they would put on rough cloth. All the people in the city did this, from the most important to the least important. When the king of Nineveh heard this news, He got up from his throne, took off his robe, and covered himself with rough cloth, and sat in ashes. He sent this announcement through Nineveh. By command of the king and his important men, no person or animal, herd or flock, will be allowed to taste anything. Do not let them eat food or drink water, but every person and animal should be covered with rough cloth, and people should cry loudly to God. Everyone must turn away from evil living and stop doing harm all the time. Who knows? Maybe God will change his mind. Maybe he will stop being angry, and then we will not die. When God saw what the people did, that they stopped doing evil, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Thank you, Rachel, and thank you guys, all of you who have joined us so far. It's good again to open the book of Jonah and just read through it with you. Um, And there is one thing that Rachel and I are really excited to do uh, once lockdown is done, and that is to have many of you over. Like, we just, we love having people in our house. We love just enjoying a meal together, enjoying good conversation, and... As many of you will find out when you come over, we enjoy playing games. Because you see, me and Rachel love board games. Like, a lot. And uh, we play them often, and we usually are always up to teaching board games to people we have over. And, I mean, Rachel's job back in Cardiff was literally to teach board games. So I would say we're both fairly skilled in teaching board games to somebody who's new, but there is one thing that I think that I might enjoy more than Rachel, and that is reading the rule books of a new game. I have this, it's a, it's a weird fascination, I mean, I will admit, that I really enjoy when we get a new game to open it up and to open up the rule book and just read through it. It's it's strange. Most people I know, that's not their favorite part, but that really is what excites me about getting a new game. And when you read through the rules and you play as many games as Rachel and I have, you come to understand that not every rule book is created equal. Um, you see, there's a game that me and Rachel own. It's one of our favorites. It's called Whitechapel. And I want to emphasize this. It's actually a fairly simple game. Like it's, once you play it, you realize, oh, it's actually pretty easy to play. But if I took 
white our copy of Whitechapel, and I was to give it to one of you guys, and may, especially if I've given if I'm letting somebody borrow it who doesn't play a lot of board games or maybe never plays any board games, you would take that and you would look at the rule book and you would question my statement of saying that it is simple. You might never trust me again when it comes to recommending board games because the rule book for Whitechapel is probably one of the most convoluted pieces of writing I've ever had to interpret. Sometimes I question whether the people who made the game want people to actually play it. And today, we're going to see Jonah's going to give a message. And he's going to share that message with the Assyrians. But as we study it, as we look at it, we may wonder if Jonah too was purposely trying to share it in such a way that it would make impossible, it would make it impossible for those who heard it to understand how to win the game. For the last two weeks, we have been looking at how Jonah has been out of touch with his surroundings. Uh, it led him to be an, a hypocritical prophet who only turned to God when he was as good as dead. We also saw that just being in touch with your surroundings is not enough. Because as we saw from chapter 2, Jonah's heart didn't really change. There was still something wrong with it. And we're going to see that in chapters 3 and 4 that Jonah, even though he's very much aware of what's going on around him, he's very much aware that he has to do what God's called him to do, he still has a heart full of hate. And so with that heart full of hate and with both plan A of running away failing, plan B of getting himself killed failing, he's kind of come up with a plan C, and that's sabotage. As we study chapter 3, I want you to be aware of the next thing that Jonah was out of touch with. He was out of touch with his message. And what I mean by that is this. Jonah didn't really understand that God being a God of justice also applied to him. That Jonah was happy for God to bring justice on his enemies, on the people he didn't like, but he somehow forgot that he also deserved ju that justice as well. In his letter to Philemon, Paul said this. He said, I, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And that might... What Paul's trying to say here is he's just saying that when you share your faith, you are reminded of what Christ has done for you. Because if you're going to share what, if you're going to share your testimony, if you're going to share the gospel correctly, you have to come to the realization that you had to be saved from something, that you weren't perfect as well. It's a reminder that we're no better than the people that we're sharing our faith with. Yet, like Jonah, we have to be careful because sometimes it can be easy to say the right thing and totally forget how that applies to us. So chapter 3 also has this interesting division. It's very clear that you have the first part of chapter 3, the first few verses, it's all about Jonah's version of obedience, and the second part is all about the Ninevites' version of obedience. And again, as we look through this, please keep your Bible handy because I'm going to be uh, referring to some specific verses. In fact, I want you to relook at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, and you may have noticed that they sound kind of familiar, because if you look at the first two verses of chapter 1, you'll realize that it's almost like a copy and paste. There's a little bit of a difference, but for the most part, it is almost exactly the same. 
right? This is a signal that this is a, it's a, it's a do-over moment. It's a, another chance for Jonah. And so just like in chapter one, the real question is, well, what does verse three say? What's that first word? Because in chapter one, you got to verse three and it said, but, and that put us on a whole nother trajectory than what Jonah was supposed to do. But now we look at verse three and it says, so. Jonah is no longer running away, but instead heads straight to the place that he should have gone in the, gone at first. And you might be thinking, so far, so good, right? He's, he's heading in the right direction. And then we get this really cool description of Nineveh. It tells us that it's, it's huge. It is the biggest city in the world. It says that it's a three days journey wide, which I want to point out real quick that once again, this is just one of those great exaggerations that Jonah uses to try to give us the correct mental picture. And if you are wondering why I say that it's not a literal three days wide, well, I don't have enough time to go into that today. But if you check out the something extra in the video in the description of this live stream, uh, you'll get a video that by, that's done by a very handsome man, I would say, uh, who explains why a three days journey wasn't literal. But what I want you to know is that when you're reading this, Jonah coming into Nineveh, you're, the picture in your mind is that Nineveh is huge. Nineveh, Nineveh is bigger than any city you can imagine, bigger than any city that you've ever seen. And that's what it feels like for Jonah coming in there. That's what it should feel like for the readers as Jonah goes in there. This is a huge, important city. And then in verse 4, Jonah starts to go into Nineveh. And then we see that once again, his, his heart just really isn't in that in it because after getting this extravagant description of how big the city is Jonah it says Jonah only goes about a third of the way in and then he gives in what's in Hebrew a five word sermon like that's it from what is being described it wouldn't be hard to picture Jonah kind of like sneaking into the city maybe finding like a little marketplace that's really loud so nobody could hear him or maybe he's found an alleyway where nobody's around and he's kind of like the city of Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 40 days and then he's like oh I did it God I did what you told me to do I'm done I'm in the clear I mean you might argue that well maybe maybe that five word sermon is some is the words that God directly gave him. But I think that this is, again, a form of sabotage, and this is why. In pretty much every other prophecy that describes a nation or a city being destroyed, it contains a why. It says, because you are doing this evil or because you've done that evil, you will be destroyed. Yet, if we look at what Jonah says, he's left out the why. Also, if you look at those other passages about uh, destruction, you'll also notice that there's usually a how they can be saved from that destruction. Usually there's a call to repentance, a call to turn to God, to stop doing their evil ways, and Jonah has left out the how. But maybe most importantly, in all calls to destruction, it always says who is going to be doing the destroying. It always points to God as being the ultimate judge and ruler of the earth, Yet, Jonah has left out the who. It is almost like Jonah is trying to explain the rules of the game in such a way that not even would they have no idea how to win, they would have no idea how to even play. 
Jonah is doing the bare minimum to check off the box. So, of course, because Jonah is a mirror, the book of Jonah is a mirror for us, the question we should be asking ourselves is, do we follow God the same way? I have seen people fall into the trap of thinking that to be a good Christian, you only have to do like maybe a few things. Like you have to go to church every so often or in the case of what it's like right now, I have to watch church every so often. Um, You have to pray before you eat. Maybe you read your Bible a couple times a year. Like that's, you do a couple things on a to-do list, you check those off and you're a good Christian. But that's not what God wants. God doesn't want a people who just mark off things on a to-do list. He wants people who follow him with their whole heart and their whole mind. So how do the Ninevites respond, right? We've seen Jonah's version of obedience, which is just do the bare minimum, minimum, check the box, you're good. But how do the Ninevites respond? Well, in verse six, in verse five, sorry, we, it tells us that they believed Jonah. Actually, they believed him pretty much immediately. They heard his five words and they start to get to work. They start trying to turn to God. Like, it's very clear that Jonah's attempt at sabotage is not going to work out. I mean, if plan A failed and plan B failed, I don't know why he thinks plan C would. And verse 6 offers an an unbelievable image. Because it is there that we see the king in Nineveh, the leader of the Assyrians. He hears the message, he gets off his throne, and he humbles himself. And why is that unbelievable? It's because, remember, the Assyrians are the Nazis of their day, right? This is like saying saying that there was a story of this Jewish prophet who shows up in Berlin at the height of Hitler's power, says a five-word sermon, everybody in Berlin suddenly turns to God, and even Hitler himself takes off his uniform, puts on rags, and mourns and humbles himself, Right? That's the type of picture you should get when you hear that the king of Nineveh and the people of Nineveh doing what they're doing. And the king's repentance doesn't stop with him just getting off his throne and humbling himself. Because in verses 7 and 8, he lets out this decree stating that not only should all the citizens fast and turn from the evil they are doing, but he says also that their animals are to fast and to mourn as well. Which, again, is just an over-the-top expression, just as such a huge mental image. Because, like, I have seen people dress their pets up in different outfits. And, you know, when it's cold outside and you go see, like, when it's really cold outside, you might see a horse and they're wearing what I call a horse jumper, right? They're wearing that blanket thing to keep them warm. But I don't think I've ever seen anyone, while they were mourning, dress their cows in all black. The dec- And right? He, this decree has so many parts to it. He tells the people that they should be fasting, that they should be crying out to God, and to turn from the evil things they were doing. And when we look at that, we should realize this is an amazing thing, because they figured out the why. They figured out why they were going to be destroyed, about they needed to turn, that they were doing evil. They figured out how they could prevent it. They figured out that they need to turn from their evil ways. They need to turn to God. And they even figured out the who. They figured out, oh, it's this God of this, na- of this nation of Israel who they've heard about probably because they've fought battles with them. Their neighbors, they've probably heard about their God. Like, they did all of that without Jonah telling them anything. 
I think one of the most amazing verses of this whole book is verse 9. It says, Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. These people weren't told that if they did this, if they turned to God, they would be saved. They're just hoping in a God that they've only heard about through probably secondhand accounts. Again, this is a direct reflection back on Jonah. Because Jonah, he knows the actual living God. Jonah, he, he had God, God spoken to Jonah directly, yet it took him spending a few days in the belly of a fish to finally turn to God. And when the Ninevites hear five words, they immediately start turning. And they do it the same day. Like, it, it's just such a, a comparison between the two. And like how I said, Nina, the Jonah's, like, Jonah's version of obedience was he's just trying to check off the box. The Ninevites realized that they needed to do, they needed to follow with everything. It wasn't just, oh, we just need to do these things. No, it, it was a complete heart change for them. And there's also a consistent theme that we see throughout Jonah here, and that's that salvation comes when you cry out to the Lord. Right? We see that when the sailors cried out to the Lord, they were saved. When Jonah cried out to the Lord from the belly of the fish, he was saved. And now the Ninevites are crying out to the Lord. But there's something else that we see, and that's that there's an action that has to go with that crying out. Right? The sailors didn't just cry out, but they threw Jonah into the sea, and then they went and also made sacrifices. Jonah had not only cried out to the Lord, but he ended up going to Nineveh. And the people of Nineveh both fasted and turned from their ways. Like, it wasn't just that they said they would do it, they actually did it. A person who turns to the Lord for salvation will only find it when their actions back up what they are saying. And so Jonah's short sermon does come true. Nineveh is overturned. Because, once again, we get some fun Hebrew wordplay that we might miss in English. Because the word that Jonah uses in his short sermon that, depending on your translation, either gets translated to overturned or destroyed or demolished, it actually is a Hebrew word that can mean a couple different things, but one of the things that it can mean is to change something or to turn something into something else. And that's exactly what happened to Nineveh. Nineveh has been changed, not to rubble, like Jonah was hoping. Jonah was hoping that they would be, it would be turned into just piles of flaming, uh, just garbage everywhere, essentially. No, it wasn't changed to that. It was changed into a people who now follow God. And this leads God to not bring disaster on those people. And this shows an important truth about God, that his love and his justice aren't mutually exclusive. His justice is often compelled by his love. Because let's look at this story again. It's a, it's a story about God looking down, and he sees one particular nation that is doing evil things to the nations around it. And in his love for both those other nations and the nation that's being cruel, he sends somebody to declare a judgment. And when that cruel nation turns from its cruelty, they find grace. But not only do they find grace, that grace points them back to God's love. And justice is for happens for both that city and the nations around it. It's a, 
it's a cycle of salvation. It's why Jesus came to die on the cross. He came out of love to receive a judgment so that we may find grace and that points us back to his love. But how does one call out to God so that they can receive God's grace? What is something that they have to do? They have to get off their thrones. The base of every sin in humans is that we choose to do something our own way, not God's way. We choose that we want to be the rulers of our lives. And I say that because, once again, if we flip back to the first book of the Bible and we look at Genesis 3, we read the story about how Adam and Eve sinned. And as we read it and we look at it, we might wonder, well, what was their sin? Why did they eat the fruit? Well, it tells us. They sinned because they wanted to be like God. Or in simpler terms, they wanted to sit on the throne of their lives. And today even, we find ourselves falling into that same trap when we, uh, when we fail to get, the, get off the throne of our lives. Because you know what I think, I mean, I, I know makes, when most people get angry, I know it's because of this. It's because they feel like their kingdom was under attack. They're ruling their own lives, and somebody is attacking their kingdom, so they feel like they have to defend it. I know I'm guilty of this. I mean, Rachel will tell you that I'm a pretty laid-back person. I'm pretty easygoing. But when I'm driving, for some reason, I can just get easily annoyed when I feel like somebody is driving um, less than satisfactory, let's say. Uh, it's... I realize that I get inconvenienced, that I realize I feel that way because I feel like I'm being inconvenienced. I feel like my kingdom is being under attack by the way that they're driving. And I feel like I need to defend myself in some way, so I get frustrated at the drivers around me. But if I could take myself off of my own throne, I could realize that it, they're not attacking me, that I don't need to defend myself. If God's sitting on my throne... It's not my job anymore to defend myself, it's God's. And this was an idea that actually I heard from a worship leader called Tim Timmons. He pointed out that how a king can only rule when they're on the throne. So if we want to be a part of God's kingdom, if we want God to rule in our lives, we must allow him to be on our thrones. So what? Well, we've seen a comparison between Jonah and the people of Nineveh. And it is clear that which one you should be like. But as we look at which one you should be like, you should also realize that any expectations of who you should be imitating in this story have been thrown out the window. Because what we see is we have on one hand a prophet of God, someone God picked specifically and talked to directly, whose main purpose was to tell people about God and what he has to say. And on the other hand, we have the Nazis of that day. We have a people who valued violence, who did unspeakable horrors to those who stood in their way, yet it is those evil people who get up off their thrones, and it's the prophet who refuses. Which leads us to look at ourselves. The mirror of Jonah is showing us two possibilities. So the question is, who do you look like today? Do you, like Jonah, forget that you are also a person in need of saving. It can be easy to be a Christian and look down on other people to be like, to forget that we needed to be saved, to be like, oh, I'm a child of God. Look at these horrible people. 
Look at like all the evil they're doing. Yet when we do that, we get out of touch with our message. We forget what it is that we were saved from. Do you remember, do you remember what it is that you are saved from? And who sits on your throne? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for Einsford Baptist Church and allowing us to be here. Thank you so much for just a room where we can close the door and lots of heaters that can heat it up. God, I just pray that today we will be a people who will get off our thrones. We will be a people who won't be so caught up with our own situation, our own circumstances, that we want to rule ourselves, that we feel like it's our kingdoms to rule when it's not our kingdoms at all. It is your kingdom, God. God, I pray that we won't be a people that just check off a box. We won't be a people who just do the bare minimum, but we will follow you with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, that it won't be, we won't be just, we won't be looking for what's that minimum line? What's that line that I can just get across and I'll be saved? But we'll be a people that will just run past whatever line that is because we so want to be used by you. We so love you and we so just follow you with everything. Thank you again for sending your son. Thank you again for the book of Jonah. I just pray that as we look at it as a mirror, we see ourselves less and less in that book. In your name, amen.